Hump day here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada flying solo once more. Mark Schofield wrapping up a little bit more scouting work before the season starts. Today's show is brought to you by Crossover Football, giving coaches the ability to break down game film in order to pull stats, searchable clips, tendency reports, and much more from both desktop and mobile solutions. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon. And you get one free breakdown when you sign up today. Joining me today on the Quick Kicks pod is going to be none other than our own Dave Archibald. Dave, good to have you here, buddy. Great to be on board. A lot going on in the NFL. The season coming right up. So a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. Yeah, and, and you and I had been chatting a little bit before the show, and, and really, there there have been so many different transactions that we've seen, and it's always an interesting time of year because you see, you know, the the, the first cut down to the fifty three man roster, and then you see other people kind of you know picking up some other team's castaways, and all of a sudden you get this second wave uh, of cut downs. But this year, I think, has been a little bit unusual in that there's been some some bigger moves, I think, than we've seen in recent years. Would, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, I mean, you look and you see the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns, both pretty much just cleaning house undoing. I mean, most of the transactions that they've done over the last few years. Where where do you want to start? Do you want to start with, uh, with that Sam Bradford trade from the Eagles to the Vikings? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, there's so many fascinating angles with that. I mean, first you have the injury to Teddy Bridgewater and that's just a huge blow there. I mean, he was coming into his third year. They finally got some weapons around him and uh, he looked like he was a candidate that could maybe break out this season to complement that run game they've had with Adrian Peterson over the years. And then he gets hurt and all they have is Sean Hill because, um, is it Ty- Taylor Henneke had put his foot through a glass uh, yeah. <laughs> window? and <laughs> We've all been there, right? <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, I didn't lose a chance at an NFL starting gig. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. You and me both. But it's, it, you know, it, it is, as you mentioned, kind of this weird uh, convergence of circumstances where, you know, the Vikings thought that they might have some depth out there at quarterback and all of a sudden – turns out you don't really have any and, and pretty much undoes a ton of planning that they did and they end up having to burn some pretty significant assets to get Sam Bradford and obviously the opinions on Bradford uh, are, are pretty varied some people still think he could be a capable NFL quarterback if he can just stay on the field uh, some people think that he's nothing more than you know a player that needs bubble wrap around him at all times where do you stand on what Bradford can be in particular in this offense in Minnesota? It seems to me there may be a skill set fit. It's just a question of can he stay on the field? I have intended to be a big Bradford supporter. I mean, his none of the teams he's been on have really done anything, especially offensively. But um, I think the pro Bradford case is that he's never really had a great supporting cast in St. Louis and even last year in Philadelphia. Um, the pieces around him have not been there. 
<laughs> I think one of the concerns is that the piece around him may not be there in Minnesota either. Matt Khalil's really struggled off and on the past couple of years. Uh, Phil Lodeholt, the right tackle, retired. And so they, you know, I, I don't think that that offensive line is totally solid. And then there's a lot of potential with the weapons, with uh, Treadwell and Diggs, but that's not really a proven group either. So, you know, we may be sitting here next year and people still saying, well, if Bradford could get some weapons around him, he might finally be good. <laughs> um, I, I know you and uh, you and Mark talked about uh, Norv Turner and uh, how he likes to do some of those deeper drops and attack, you know, the deep intermediate area and, that hasn't been Bradford's game in the past. He's shown some uh, occasional success when he attacks there, but he's been kind of reluctant to attack downfield. So it, it doesn't necessarily seem like the best fit, but we'll have to see. I mean, you, you can certainly understand why they feel like he's an upgrade over uh, what they had. Well, and, and, and talking about that the question that i also have is this is a vikings offensive line that you raised some very real questions about and in particular you know bradford is a guy that you know whether it's and at this point it pretty much is a real thing that he unfortunately he can't stay healthy consistently enough and that's that that's a problem behind that offensive line especially being asked as you mentioned to take some deeper drops you know, you wonder if a guy like that can build the confidence behind that line to be able to attack some of the some of those intermediate routes and, and to be able to do that. It's it's a question that I have, and it sounds like that's something that you wonder about too. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not sure about the. You know, I think the receiving core is some questions there. I think everyone likes Treadwell as kind of a possession type receiver, but is he going to be running? You know, those skinny posts and stuff. Uh, that Turner likes, uh, I don't know. Looking at this from a perspective of value and specifically what Minnesota gave up to get Sam Bradford, is there any situation in which you think the package given up equals the talent they got back? Well, uh, and the, the answer no can be acceptable. <laughs> well, e Ethan Young wrote uh, a piece for us the other day about uh you know kind of quantifying it using the modified approximate player value methodology he's used and he concluded for it the deal to make sense on that standpoint bradford needed to play like a top five quarterback over the next two years and i, I think even his most ardent defenders would pretty much discount that possibility but i, I think you know they win a super bowl then I think any price is fine, right? I mean, if you can win it all, then uh, who cares what you gave up? I, so I think the question is, is Minnesota really just a quarterback away? I mean, is this a team that's – I know they almost beat Seattle in the playoffs last year, but it, it just seems like they're kind of in that second tier of teams – and maybe they're ready to make the next step, maybe not, but I don't really see them as like one of the top, you know, the very top contenders in the NFC. Well, and there are a lot of people out there, uh, and, and, and I've been one of them who has actually said, look, 
this is a team with you know with the defense that they do have out there in Minnesota you maybe don't need a great quarterback maybe you only need a passable quarterback who doesn't make mistakes in order to get somewhere in the playoffs next year because as you know and we see this in the playoffs every year once you're in you can have some fluky things happen and all of a sudden you find yourself in a conference championship game knocking on the door to the Super Bowl so you know I look at it and I think the question that I get to then is can Bradford be a quarterback who simply doesn't turn the ball over and is able to hold up decently uh, throughout the course of the season and and I don't know if he is. That's you know he, he's a guy who I've always viewed, and I think a lot of people kind of look at him saying, "Look, there's you know some potential upside, but there's a lot of risk. There's no strong track record, and he's a guy who still turns the ball over a decent amount as well. He's got uh, you know 52 uh, interceptions and 24 fumbles in pieces of five seasons. This isn't a guy where ball security is really his strong suit." Mm-hmm. He actually, he does an okay job. Like his career interception rate is fairly low. I know, I know he threw a bunch last year in Philly. Yep. Um, the, the issue is, uh, you know, he takes sacks and sacks lead to fumbles. And uh, so he, he's kind of giving it back on that side. And that's where, again, kind of the supporting cast is going to be a big question. As far as Minnesota's defense, I think there's kind of an outstanding question. Are they like... You know, if they're a unit like Denver's last year, that can carry a guy like Bradford to a Super Bowl. But if they're just kind of a, you know, top 10 ish, maybe uh, last year they were fifth in points. If they're like the fifth best defense in the league, is that good enough to win a a Super Bowl with Sam Bradford? I think they're going to need more out of the offense. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question there. Talking with Dave Archibald from Inside the Pylon. Before we go further, just want to remind our listeners that today's show is brought to you by Crossover Football. Crossover can help coaches win more games and make smarter use of the film room with your team. Crossover breaks down and stats out your game film, giving you searchable clips, advanced ODK tendency reports, and a wealth of other great information that you can access from any PC or mobile device. Your formations and your personnel packages can be labeled with your own terminology, and you can create custom highlight reels and exchange video with anyone on any platform, including all your own players and coaches. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with the K.com slash pylon to get one breakdown for free today. Let's talk about some of these other transactions that we've seen uh, over the last uh, couple weeks or so. I know that one that you've been intrigued by a little bit is the uh, Barkevious Mingo acquisition by the New England Patriots. Talk to me about uh, what, what's kind of drawn your attention to this one. Well, they- <laughs> The thing that drew my attention was sort of an interesting pattern that I found where the Patriots have traded away uh, their fifth round pick. The the Mingo trade will actually be their 2017 fifth round pick, and that'll make six years in a row that they've traded away their fifth round pick. And when you see do when you see Bill Belichick do anything six years in a row, you want to kind of wonder what is he doing and why? Um, And what I found was he makes sort of two different kinds of trades. He makes a uh, kind of an upside gamble. And I think this Mingo trade falls into that bucket. Also, uh, a couple of trades he made for uh, Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, and uh, Albert Hainsworth. 
And uh, the other kind of trade he makes is a mid-season deal to shore up an area of weakness. So last year they traded for Keyshawn Martin. They traded for Isaac Sopuaga a few years ago. You know, just a guy who they can plug in and deliver kind of a high floor of performance without necessarily that upside. When you look at what New England tends to do, and you mentioned you, you kind of fall into two categories here, what do you think the reasoning is in terms of moving those fifth-round picks? Is there any reason why it's fifth round and not fourth or sixth? I mean, dig into this a little bit for me. Well, sometimes it is fourth or sixth. They're not, um, you know, when they trade fifth-rounders, that's not to say they necessarily only trade fifth-rounders. But I think the fifth round is sort of a sweet spot where on a team like the Patriots that's very good, that player is going to have an uphill climb to make the roster. Um, Two of the last three fifth round picks they've used were on uh, specialists. So uh, Joe Cardona two years ago, which was a second fifth round pick that they'd gotten in a trade, and uh, Zoltan Mesko back in, uh, I think, 2010. Um, and actually, one of those years, too, they picked up Marcus Cannon, who was a fifth round pick who could start the year on the NFI list because he had a uh, some sort of cancer diagnosis. I, think I don't it was remember. Leukemia, I believe. Yeah. So so, I mean, those are guys where you look at those three picks, the three most recent picks that he did make. And those are guys who were clearly going to have a spot or in Cannon's case, they could kind of clear a spot. And I think the fifth round pick they used before that was on Lee Smith. And the, there were a couple offensive linemen in there. And those guys didn't even make the team. So I think for the Patriots, a fifth round pick is not really much different than a sixth or seventh round pick. It's kind of a long shot who maybe has a role. And um, to other teams, they might view a fifth round pick as a, hey, well, that's kind of a mid round pick. We can get somebody better than a you know, just to throw away at the end of a draft. And so, you know, we'll pull the trigger on the deal. Do you think any of it has to do with New England's confidence in their ability to also pull from the undrafted ranks and potentially, and this is kind of getting at what you just mentioned there, saying, look, a fifth round pick, we can find guys of that talent after the draft, but this pick may be able to get us something that we need at a different point because another team may value it more highly. Yeah, I think I think they're always aggressive with the undrafted guys, and I I think they're very specific about where, and it's not necessarily what other teams look for. And we saw that with Malcolm Butler a couple of years ago, where you know teams weren't that interested in a five foot nine guy from West Alabama, but uh, you know the Patriots made that deal. They they kind of tend to have their own things that they look for so they can get value, you know, in the seventh round or in the undrafted pool. Dave, looking at uh, any of the other transactions that happened over the course of this week, I know we're going to cover specialists a little bit later, but anything else stand out to you in terms of, uh, you know, things that caught your eye and kind of piqued your interest? In addition to trading Mingo, you also saw the Browns uh, trading Justin Gilbert in division yep. for a sixth-round pick, um, which is not necessarily uh, how you want your – what was he, like the eighth pick in the draft? Uh, how you want that playing out? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and eighth pick in a draft two years – this isn't you know some guy who was drafted five, six years ago. This is – a guy going into his third year in the NFL who was 
maybe a special teams contributor. Maybe. He, he played a lot on special teams. He, did he, did he, came he contribute, up in that, though? Uh, special teams <laughs> investment. That, I am not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, he played a lot. Um, he saw action. Yes, yeah, so I, I think that's... Uh, I'm just fascinated with what's going on in Cleveland and Philadelphia. I mean, they've both made uh, quite a number. They've had a lot of front office turnover. You know, the Eagles, Howie Roseman was out last year and they let Chip Kelly call the shots. And then all of a sudden Chip is fired and Roseman's back in charge. And now he seems like he's committed to undoing everything Chip Kelly did. And then in Cleveland, I mean, they are just cleaning house there. They are I mean, uh, all those first-round picks are gone now. <laughs> well, and it's 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 interesting to look at when you talk about Cleveland because on one hand you say, well, good, they, they should have cleaned house, but then you kind of sit there and you say, okay, now you're accumulating all of these assets, all of these future picks. Are you going to be able to do anything better with it? And that's the thing that we don't know yet. And are you going to give this management team – the chance to let the hand play out with these guys. I mean, we see this, uh, I mean, in Mingo, I, I didn't really get too much into the on the field impact, but he's an interesting guy. He was, um, I think he weighed 241 pounds at the combine, but he often measured lighter than that. I saw one year he, he was playing at like 227 pounds. So People thought, is this guy an edge rusher? Is he a linebacker? And so through, you know, really like three different drafting regimes, they're ping-ponging him between, oh, he's an edge rusher, oh, he's an outside linebacker, and a 3-4, now he's an off-ball linebacker. And it's just really hard to develop players when you keep changing schemes and changing, you know, scouting staffs and your vision for the players changes. Not to say that Mingo's, you know, who knows what's going to happen with his career, but I think it's just really hard to develop guys in those circumstances. And so you hope that Cleveland's found the right staff here with Sashi Brown and the other folks they have. And you hope that ownership gives them, you know, five, six years to to make it work. And I think Oakland's a great example. They, it seems like they were going to, you know, Reggie McKenzie was on the hot seat three or four years ago, and they stuck with him. And now it seems like they're riding the ship there. Yeah, it's it as you always say with with this type of thing. You know, can they have enough time? Are you going to give them a full, you know, kind of five year cycle to go through this, or is it going to be two years and all of a sudden we're blowing it up again? And that's that's the question you always wonder about when you have a new regime in there. Uh, Dave, we are uh, pretty much out of time today, so we're wrapped up, but we're going to get you back later this week to uh, to talk one of my favorite topics, and that's special teams, some special teams transactions that made us a little bit curious as well. So we'll get you back in a couple days, all right? Sounds great. Outstanding. Dave Archibald from Inside the Pylon. That is it for the day. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to be joined by Jeff Fair and Shane Alexander from the Pylon U podcast talking a little bit more college football as we start to turn towards week two. That's what's coming up tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. <laughs>